Last night, I joined my friend Jamie for a little walk around our neighborhood. We walked a few blocks and ended up in the little, we, we call it the village, but it's this little tiny shopping area. There's like a hardware store and a coffee shop and a couple of restaurants, a toy store, an ice cream store. It, it's sort of this really sweet little commercial area that's the center of our neighborhood. We walked in one restaurant just thinking we'd maybe sit at the bar and have a drink and have a long conversation. And we both walked in and I was absolutely overwhelmed with the wave of just noise, of sound that hit me. Here in Minneapolis, restaurants are back at full capacity and totally open for indoor dining. There's no more mask mandate. So in many ways, at least in terms of restaurants, we are post-pandemic. But somehow in this last almost 18 months of not having normal restaurant experiences, I had forgotten just how loud restaurants are. And I'm no longer used to it. This was a nice restaurant. It, it wasn't one that was like blasting the bass or anything. It was just the sound of lots of bodies in a small space in conversation together all at once. And I found it untenable. So we walked in, we stood for a second, we looked at each other and we walked right back out. My post-pandemic ears are a little bit too sensitive for that amount of noise. And to be honest, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with choosing quieter spaces that are less fraying for my brain to really engage in a thoughtful conversation in which I'm, I'm listening hard and really attentive. Things feel a little different now that we are returning back to some of our social engagements in the post-pandemic life. One of the things that I wanted to talk about today is imposter syndrome and the way that it can rear its ugly head not only to cause us as individuals some discomfort and potential pain, but also the way that it can really kill, hijack our relationships. So this is your pregame warm-up for whatever in-person events you may be ready to begin attending again. They are coming back. My husband Rob has a number of events scheduled all over the country and, and some in Europe for the months of September and October. So we're getting ready. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. I think imposter syndrome can best be summarized as the thought, I don't belong here. It's a pretty popular term, lots of people talk about it, tweet about it. If you've heard me talk about it before, you probably will have heard me talk about its roots in the Adlerian concept of inferiority complex. So it's not a new idea. It's not unique to entrepreneurs or tech folks. Imposter syndrome is the gap between our self-assessment and our assessment of the room that we're in or the people that we're around and whether or not we feel that we have the prestige, the authority, the ability, the qualifications to be in that room, to belong. And of course, self-assessment is notoriously, let's call it subjective, maybe all the way to inaccurate. 
we either overinflate our sense of ourselves if we have a little bit of a narcissistic tendency or a robust ego, which, hey, frankly, can serve us really well. Maybe you don't really belong in the room, but you believe you do. And so you act like you do. And then people assume that you do. And there you are fitting in, belonging, engaging. And of course, self-assessment can be slightly in error in the other direction. The sense of overly critical critique of oneself that I, I don't belong here. I don't have the qualifications. I don't have the right pedigree Whatever the metrics are, I don't have them, so I shouldn't be here. Each of us have patterns in how we place ourselves in terms of social power, social capital. And we're often wrong because, of course, it's not an objective metric. There's not a clear way to place your value or insight or ability to contribute. We can't accurately place that in relation to other people. So when we err in the direction of undervaluing our capacity or quote-unquote right to be in the room, a la imposter syndrome, there's all this negative self-talk. There's all of these negative self-critical thoughts that are looming in our mind that tend to sort of squash our ability to contribute or our ease of social interactions. And that set of thoughts, are they're pretty painful. They're often pretty mean. They're often really critical. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Oh, I'm overdressed. I'm underdressed. These people all have a better understanding of the Genesis framework than I do. Am I the only one that doesn't have a team of over 10 people? Everybody seems so happily settled down and married. It doesn't really matter what domain we're assessing ourselves on. Imposter syndrome is that tendency to elevate other people's status, happiness, and underestimate our own. Crappy way to feel, not very comfortable, not the set of thoughts that you want playing in your head when you are in the middle of a social engagement. But the thing that I wanted to talk about today isn't so much about how bad that feels for you. It's about how isolated and lonely it can keep you. Because when you are playing that negative script in your head, when imposter syndrome is the loudest voice, you completely miss the other people. You miss the ability to connect in meaningful ways. You miss the ability to ask good questions. You miss the ability to pull out from within yourself that piece of you that might make a really meaningful and interesting connection with another person possible. Imposter syndrome keeps us focused on ourselves. It keeps us overly attentive to the voices within our own head, and we miss the other voices around us. Sort of like that loud restaurant that I walked into. It was so loud that it was going to be really hard for me to really hear my friend and really engage in meaningful conversation. It's just like that with imposter syndrome, except the noise is coming from your own head. When we are engaging in social relationships or when we're just, you know, having an interaction at a mixer or a conference welcome party, cocktail party, whatever it is, the people that we're interacting with... They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want a sense of connection or knowing. Part of a wonderful social interaction is discovering what my friend Jason Gannard calls the uncommon commonality. The sense where the thing about me and the thing about you that are unique but alike, we discover it, we find it, and we can connect about it. I was recently in a conversation with a couple of people I had just met. And I made the connection with 
one of the other people in the conversation that they too love the flying trapeze. I mean, that's a pretty unusual hobby. And so the fact that we were able within a few minutes to discover, oh my gosh, you love the trapeze. I love the trapeze. We're both, you know, professional people who have a a circus side life. So cool. So much to talk about. And we did a deep dive from there into this thing that we both love. And it was a point of connection and the potential for a growing friendship. So when you are interacting with a new person, in a sense, you're on a quest to find that point of connection, that uncommon commonality that will bring you both joy, bring you both a sense of spark, both a sense of like, oh yeah, I know about that. Let's talk about this. Let's get nerdy about that. And the only way to discover that point of connection is by conversation. And it means that you want to have your full brain on board to engage, to ask good questions, to listen really well, to be inquisitive, to guide you around the conversation in such a way that helps you find that spark or that that pot of gold. Connecting is a skill and it's nuanced and it requires some good old-fashioned neurological capacity. If you want to be good at connecting with people, it means you've got to remember their names and To remember their names, you got to pay attention the first time. Maybe you need to make a mnemonic or some kind of strategy within your mind that helps you remember their name because using someone's name is an important point of connection. You want to ask good questions, maybe questions beyond the, what do you do? It's not a bad question, but it's just a starter, just a warm-up question. And when you're talking, you want to be listening really carefully to what's being said, maybe what's being not said, listening to the details of what they're talking about, because that's where the really good follow-ups happen. That's where the points of connection happen. So when you are stuck in an imposter syndrome kind of spot in your own mind, you don't have the cognitive capacity to relate really well. You're not listening super well. You're not curiously generating good questions to ask you're not really capable of paying full attention. And most often that is going to keep you from a spark of connection. It's going to keep you isolated and keep you from feeling like you could make a really meaningful moment with this person that you're talking with. So what do you do? How do you get out of this pattern? Because obviously I get it. You're not doing it on purpose. (laughs) You're not trying to be rude or unrelatable. You're just, uh, you know, dealing with the stuff in your own head. So first of all, if this is your tendency, know that about yourself. Realize that you're somebody who kind of leans toward inferiority or a sense of imposter syndrome and that that can cloud or make it really loud for you when you are in a networking context or a situation in which you're meeting people who you don't know well or who you perceive have more social capital or strength or ability than you do. So once you recognize that, you have the power or the potential, rather, to work around it. And one of the workarounds that I have found most helpful is to almost have a mantra when you're going into a social interaction where you are telling yourself, reminding yourself, this is not about me. And I don't say that in a self-deprecating kind of way, but just as a reminder that the spark of a social interaction is about your ability to discover the spark in somebody else. And that isn't about you. It's not so much about your thoughts or the 
discomfort that you feel. So if you can overlook or move past your own internal noise or your own emotional discomfort and really be able to look at and give your cognitive power, your attention, your emotional intelligence toward this other person that you're talking to, they're going to feel that. They're going to feel your curiosity and your interest and your presence in the conversation. And frankly, most people really light up when they are met with a curious, very present conversation partner. So perhaps the mantra, it's not about me, is helpful to repeat before you go into one of these types of social interactions. Another thing that you may repeat to yourself is something simple like find the spark, find the spark, that your job in that conversation is to find something about this person that really connects with something about you and that the two of you can kind of recognize together that sense of familiarity or similarity. The spark makes us memorable to people. And the spark, of course, is kind of that basis of fanning the flames of connection. It's the thing that starts the fire. So you're shifting your gaze from your internal space, from the voices that are in your head, and you're shifting it toward someone else and using your brain power to be inquisitive and curious and warm and to also show them that you are a safe and interesting and accessible person. Communicate that you see them. Communicate that you hear them. And I get that this is hard to do, but I think it's also the best solution to imposter syndrome is when you create the conditions for a meaningful connection and you find that spark and you're sitting or standing with someone who is looking at you and authentically connecting. They are affirming your belonging. They are affirming your place in the room, your place in the conversation. And that becomes its own data point. That becomes you having a lived experience of meaningful connection and belonging in a room that maybe you didn't believe you belonged in. One of the truths that I come back to over and over and over and over in my work is that relationships, people have the most power to hurt us, that most of the things that have really disrupted us in our lives, probably the basis of all of our imposter syndrome has to do with past hurtful relationships or tricky interactions or just the evilness of junior high kids. But there's something relational that made us believe that we're not worthy or that we don't belong. And we can work on those thoughts and wrestle with those beliefs and that history within our own selves and within healing relationships. But it's really out in the real world, in the laboratory of relationships, that the healing happens because we have those corrective experiences. So if you realize that you're somebody who wrestles with imposter syndrome and you don't want to wrestle with that anymore, get in the room and get in the conversation and find the internal strength to be the person who creates acceptance and belonging for someone else because that will reciprocally come back to you. After a long season of relative isolation, I'm finding a lot of joy in getting back out there and sort of getting connected with friends in person. And yes, I'm even finding some satisfaction in networking events and talking to strangers, things that are not that easy for me. 
So I hope that you are also enjoying your return to the social world and maybe doing that in a different way, choosing to interact in ways that don't have quite so much noise, choosing to interact in ways that really allow you to listen and be present and find the connection. Because honestly, there's no such thing as an imposter. There's no such thing as someone who doesn't belong in the room, of someone who's not worthy of a respectful, curious, present conversation. You deserve that, and the people that you're talking with deserve that. So good luck out there in the social jungle. Potentially, I will see you at a microconf event some point this fall. Other news for the fall is that I am planning to revive my mailing list. I mean, it didn't go anywhere. It just has been napping for like 18 months. So um, if you would be open to occasionally, as in like once a month, once every six weeks, receiving an email from me about things related to mental well-being, entrepreneurship, and leadership, head on over to zenfounder.com or sherrywelling.com and sign up for the mailing list. And oh God, I promise I won't overwhelm you with email. <laughs> it might be like years in between. But in preparation for launching my new book next spring, I am getting back on the email train a little bit to make sure that I am communicating with the people that I serve and the people that I care about, which if you're listening to this is you. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.